0: back To the Y Hockey periodically, wondering why both Luongos follow the Y Hockey account podcast. <laughs> I saw something from uh, our friend Metal Panthers, Brian, who was talking about uh, how all of the people in NHL front offices and players, if they don't have real accounts, they have burners so they know what's going yeah. on on Twitter. And I was trying to find the most judicious way to say that both Luongos follow Y Hockey. Without, you know, well, I mean, saying I it. don't
1: even, they're not even burners, so. No, they're not
0: even burners, and it was very I funny because you texted anything. me a couple of, I like, think... a week ago that said, Leo Luongo now follows Y-Hockey, and I looked because I had forgotten that the Strombone account follows Y-Hockey, too, which I, again, I totally forgot that that was a thing.
1: You know, for a lot of people, we're amusement because uh, we make uh, – we have egg on our face and make uh, – as much as we're right, we're wrong. So I'm sure, you know, we – and we're uh, – and I'm at least – talk a lot of shit. So it, it's probably good when uh, – good, good to keep an eye on us uh, for well, sure. Well, I've
0: said on this show before that when Thomas Drance was the PR director for the Panthers, he followed me. I don't know if he followed the Y Hockey account. He does not follow me anymore because there is no use for me when you're covering the Vancouver Canucks <laughs> – <laughs> he did follow me, so I know for a fact that they, whether it's through burners or otherwise, they know what people are saying on Twitter. So they're they're well exactly. aware of it. But I did want to bring that up because you have. Well, I don't
1: think it me. takes a uh, brain surgeon to figure out what the Florida Panthers are uh, thinking right now <laughs> and feel. Nope. I think I don't think you need to follow any social media. You know, you don't have to.
0: You do don't have anything. to work all that hard for that. It's pretty much out of the open. It's, it has not been hijacked by uh, people talking about how Elon Musk is ruining the site. Not yet, at least. Um, I do want to say, just for, for a funny point, like there's a lot of stuff on Twitter that, would Panthers talk, that I want to get to later. The first thing I do want to say, because we have been uh, off from this for about a month, Uh, we do want to talk about the World Juniors first and foremost because it was a really fun tournament, and that's one of Tommy's favorite times of the year, even though the results did not go the way he would have liked, and that is unfortunate because of the way that Sweden went out, which was highly unfortunate, and the way that the Czechs lost to Canada in the gold medal game, which was also highly unfortunate, but there's some interesting prospect talk that I want to get into here with you, and so your general takeaways on the tournament, even if some of the results for you were not particularly enjoyable, the play certainly was.
1: Yeah. I mean, it's typically the, some of the best hockey you see every year. Um, and best as far as like entertainment. I mean, there's, there's enough, there's kind of a bit of everything. There's underdog upsets. There's, uh, you know, like two underdog nations going up against each other. You have the relegation, uh, best of three. You have, um you know a lot of high talented prospects that you're getting a preview of that that always show up you have disappointments you have i mean uh you know great jerseys some of the best jerseys in hockey with you know Sweden and and sometimes what Canada US and some of these other countries like Switzerland and stuff are always sharp and clean um you know it, it's it's a lot of fun there's always some angle there's always something in every single game to really pay attention to or watch, even if the score is not, not great uh, or a little lopsided sometimes, Um, you know, like you said, disappointment uh, with me just, you know, as a team Sweden guy um, still can't get over the hump. Uh, I I think, and there's been more talk and I think the more, the more it happens and where they're not able to consistently get into gold medal games at the, you know at the u21 level and the adult level i think that it's more and more needed for them to go to the hybrid ice like finland has at least the hybrid ice if not just jump straight to the nhl rink i think they definitely need more pace and more uh inside the house and some more a little more killer instinct and i think they would get that uh routinely playing on the softer ice uh, the smaller ice um they're going to be hosting the next World Junior, I think. Uh, right. So they'll have the bigger ice, and um, they'll have a really good team. You know, uh, Some of their defensemen that they uh, will have next year weren't able to be here, like Elias Samuelson or Samuelson. This um, is the thing and... I
0: wanted to talk with you about because I wasn't following it as closely as I probably should have. And the thing I kept seeing when I was following Scott Wheeler or Jay of the other people that cover this tournament, is – uh, Ludwig Janssen, who's the Panthers draft pick, they didn't have many in this world juniors. And every time I look at it, like, uh, he scored again, or he has an assist, or he's playing really well. Because apparently all of the Swedish defensemen were injured, so somebody had to step up, and he was apparently the one that did.
1: Yeah, I mean, they definitely had a, a lot. He definitely wasn't the... I would say their number one defenseman, you know, they had Sandy and Pelica who, who eventually, you know, I think by the end of the tournament was their, their best defenseman and their guy that they kind of look to in all situations. Um, uh, and they had Victor show. So, Oh gosh, my pronunciation is bad every day, but today, especially, uh, but so or however you pronounce it was, uh, you know, more of their physical leader, the guy out there defensively and stuff. Um, But Jansen was just the guy to be on that power play. Uh, And it was clicking early, got some confidence. But what it really came down to was uh, his reads. And something that Florida defensemen uh, are usually good at offensively is those instinctual reads, knowing when to jump and, and when to shoot, when to pass for the most part and that kind of stuff. Um, you know, he knew when to break it down, break a defender down and take them one on one and, and kind of, uh, funnel everything to the net. And he also knew when to kind of create space and lanes and, and get the puck to the Fords. Um, and so that's, you know, at the, at his age level, he unfortunately is going to age out by like four days or something. So he's not going to be in the next world junior, but it was great to see him make such a mark, um, at that age group while he was there, Uh, I think it's going to, you know, catapult him, you know, hopefully for the rest of the year and maybe get a little more offensive potential uh, out of a a, a prospect who's good. But, you know, it's still a later mid-round pick. You're still hoping to just
0: kind of get an NHL player defenseman out of it. Seems like there's something to be said for that, and we will talk about Panthers defensemen later because, funny enough, they happened to claim a player today before we recorded the podcast. <laughs> it was very nice of them to do this so we don't end up missing it. I knew was I was running it. late for a, for a reason, man. Yeah, that is very funny. So that was something that just stood out to me. But in terms of the rest of the tournament, is there anything you wanted to talk about? I know you want to talk about Leo Carlson I
1: mean, a bit. Obviously, I, I, I kind of have to acknowledge... Um... I have to acknowledge Connor Bedard. I mean, like, it is ridiculous. It was great to see Eric Lindros obviously get out ahead of him and, you know, be one of the biggest cheerleaders to Bedard breaking the record. Obviously, that's that's kind of, uh, I, I think, pretty uh, characteristic of, of Lindros. And, and, you know, I think for me, one of the best people to usher in the new era of the game and everything like that uh, is Lindros and, and to kind of be that connection from you know the legends to the, to the new kid to the new kids coming up and and what they're going to be able to do um, so I always love seeing him uh, more and more in the NHL and doing things and then you know it was a couple days later he was in Philadelphia for a night to honor the Legion of Doom so you know the more I see Eric Lindros in hockey events and around I mean
0: I think back on this and we've talked about this on the show before but how for years like the Lindros Flyers relationship was severed and then it took yeah. the, uh, the alumni outdoor game at Citizens Bank Park with the Rangers before it kind of got rebuilt and now you're starting to see him inch back in which is it's always fun the one thing yeah. I mentioned about Bedard on Twitter I think I tweeted about it probably deleted the tweet because it got no no traction <laughs> which most of my tweets do not get traction it's okay I've been on Twitter for 12 years and I stink at it, but there was a discord I'm in and somebody was like, I don't believe the Bedard hype because of like Canadian major junior stats. And then eventually as they're watching Connor Bedard do insane things at the world juniors, the same person's like, okay, now I believe the hype. It's just like, yeah, I I mean this tournament to do that. (laughs) Although I guess it reinforces it.
1: I mean, I, I don't really get that because the WHL, for my money, is the best uh, is the best of. I mean, the he's also CHL on a terrible right team. now.
0: You know, he's not. on yeah, the I mean, team that's that's going to try to go win the the, the whole thing.
1: The situation behind closed doors, and if you listen to Thirty Two Thoughts with uh, Merrick and and Friedman, they they they've kind of talked about this too. Is the CHL in the league are trying to get him traded because a WHL team hosts the Memorial Cup and right now Connor Bedard will not be at the Memorial Cup and might not even last long in the WHL playoffs if they get there so you know like
0: yeah he talked about how they're kind of trying to get like the the exceptional players the showpiece players in the you know in the Memorial Cup yeah, which is
1: and, important and for them if you've been paying attention to who's been traded and for how many draft picks and for it's, like eight year old kids what are the trades
0: stuff. for the blazers Kamloops blazers who are hosting the uh the the memorial cup this year (laughs) it's one of the most amazing things you will ever see in any sport when it comes to trades it's bonkers i love it it's so funny yeah
1: um i mean like florida had a defensive prospect braden hash who's on uh kingston or was on kingston got traded to ekblad's team uh barry colts
0: oh there was a barry i thought it was win yeah yeah. Oh, somebody else cool. got traded and, to Windsor. But he got traded
1: for like five draft picks. It was like two seconds, two fourths and a fifth or something like that. You I'm know like, what's funny Him? about
0: this? And I have to interrupt, it's because <laughs> Not, nothing
1: personal, like he's good, but I didn't like I don't remember someone who's kind of been like a mid or late pick who's kind of older and stuff getting traded for that many draft picks. But I guess, you know, the market. Inflation... <laughs> when you get a chance yeah. to
0: go ride for it, you gotta ride for it. And here's where I knew that this was happening. Um of course I'm gonna mention Luke Prokop on this, but he's back in junior and like this was before he went back to junior, but the Oil Kings traded his rights for something insane. They were all conditional picks to Seattle where he's playing now. And at that point I'm like, Okay, now I understand how this this works in juniors. Like if you get a chance to load up, you're gonna completely load up and go for it in ways that are kinda of bonkers. And then it's like if we gotta rebuild in rebuilding in a sense with fifteen year olds, I mean there was somebody who said, oh, I'm trading draft picks for somebody who's currently nine years old. Yeah, that's, that's Canadian major junior hockey for you in a nutshell. But it is funny how, again, Jeff knows junior hockey better than anybody knows very many things in the world. And his insights on all of that and how they're trying to get, you know, these players in the showpiece event so more people are watching it. Again, it makes sense. You'd want Connor Bedard in the Memorial Cup because it'll happen before the draft and Big news, like apparently, like the records that he's setting for crowds, and you know when they're going on the the barnstorming tour is insane out there out west. But yeah,
1: right. I mean, yeah, especially now after, um, you know the the junior championship gold medal two in a row. I mean, like yeah, he was the highlight. I, we can't say anything that hasn't already been said by everybody else, and that everyone listening doesn't already know or think. Um, I, I I believe. The hype in that as much as i believed it about uh you know austin matthews or Connor mcdavid or nathan mckinnon these they have all the tools all the potential everything's there uh and they're definitely you you described to me really as um,
0: as crosby with austin matthews is shot
1: i mean yeah yeah i mean it, if i was trying to be you know very simple and kind of general about it like i i think that there is that work ethic that crosby has i mean i said that probably before they showed the uh the feature on tsn in between one of the games where uh, you know it was just about his work like his drive you know stick handling and shooting with one hand when he broke his arm so now he can like backhand flick one hand the puck over the net wanting to take his like roller skates and his hockey bag and stuff on a trip to hawaii and try to like drop into a a local league when he was like 12, 13 years old. And that's the only way he would go with his family to Hawaii and stuff like that. And the emphasis was, this wasn't like a parent driven thing. This was like, this is what Connor Bedard wanted to do. Like he, he it's just coming from him. And I, I think that's very Crosby esque I mean, you know, at least for my generation, that's the player that stands out to me in that regard Um, And then his release is just ridiculous, and it's a lot of the pull drag. It's a lot of changing of uh, the release point, a lot of hiding, a lot of deception. But behind it is just like a hard rocket shot that really is forehand, backhand, like everything. Uh, I don't know if he's really had that one-timer, you know, from that range, like on the power play. You could, if that's at real high elite pro level yet, but I mean, obviously, when he matures and gets uh, a little heavier and stuff, that'll won't be an issue. He'll definitely be one of
0: the best scorers in the league. He, you uh, told me about him. I think it was it was one of the U eighteen tournaments. It was the same time as Mischkov, and I think this might have been like April of twenty one when you first told me well, about it. Yeah,
1: him. I mean, yeah. It, with the, it's ridiculous. There's so many of these kids. And stuff. Where by fourteen and stuff, everyone kind of knows who they are and are following them through when they're this good. I mean, so it's it's um, it's a little creepy if you if you (laughs) think about it. But um, you know, you know what?
0: I am a fan of college football. I have seen recruiting battles that are like far weirder than this. Yeah. yeah. So this this doesn't this doesn't spook me because at least the stuff that they're doing with Bedard is very professional and they and. They're already through the hockey media ringer at this point, so they know what's coming. You know, as I say, with college football recruiting, weird stuff is happening. Go watch Bagman; it's, it's an SB Nation feature on Laramie Tunsil that somebody, that Stephen Godfrey did. If you want to get like weird with college football recruiting, that makes the Conor Bedard stuff look like a walk in the park. Yeah, Either I, way, I, but,
1: but what really I think sells the tournament for me is, and you know, he didn't have the best of tournaments, but Adam Fantilli was also on Team Canada and is a very good very good player uh would probably be number one in a lot of drafts he's would
0: he have been number one uh the last, last couple year?
1: years I mean I think last year he would have been number one for me uh i think for sure uh, i two years I'd have to really sit and think about it, but last that was year yeah. power draft um, like,
0: yeah, I would think maybe,
1: yeah, I mean yeah, probably then i mean obviously <laughs> it's a, it's harder the more away from his draft year you go uh to make that comparison but um you know he is a very uh different player but i think the potential and everything is not too dissimilar um obviously Bedard has a little more of the hype and 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 kind of uh g- t- generational tag with it um but I, I think Fantilli and Leo Carlson, for that matter, who was on Sweden, uh, some of these other guys, Edward Saleh, we saw uh, Dvorsky, Dvorsky uh, for, for Czechia or Slovakia. Um, you know, they there are a lot of high-end players in this draft, and that's why it kills me what Philadelphia is doing, finding
0: ways it to kill. kills you with what Florida is doing. Yeah, too, yeah.
1: I mean, I mean worth exactly. Exactly, yeah. If they had a protected pick, it wouldn't be an issue at all. Um, and, and by the way, Mike Johnson uh, was on some podcast. I forget who it was on. I retweeted it from the y Twitter account. But he was blasting Zito for that, for just how – like, he's basically said it's almost a fireball offense. Because so like, what's Montreal going to do? Not put trade protections on that pick? Because do you think Ken Hughes was thinking, like, oh, yeah – you know i'm definitely going to hold out and not get trade protection on this first round pick for ben Schrat and another prospect and you know like no he's thinking i'm going to take this uh he, he he's was, not
0: wrong he's not so wrong. i mean
1: for me leo carlson i mean there's a lot of matt sundin comparisons based on the amount of physicality he can withstand he can take and he leans into and, and kind of brings out the best he's good around the net he's a he's a center that is going to be two way. He's going to be responsible um and you know that's a fine comparison I don't want to make that comparison yet or that's pretty lofty um but I I think he definitely has the potential to be somebody who's viewed viewed with Fantillion and Bednard versus being viewed in, in a in a later tier You know
0: what was fun? Um, It was fun watching the Czechs do that. Yeah, what a great team, We talked a lot about, you know, the last draft was all about Slovakia having the multiple first-round picks. They won the bronze medal at the Olympics, all of this. And now the Czechs are doing it. For a while, we were talking about how, you know, the the rise was obviously Finland and Sweden, but we were talking more like the Swiss and like the Germans, right? Like maybe that's going to be. And then we see these two, you know, traditional hockey countries, both of them starting to produce really good young talent. That's fun because like the, the world junior without russia for obvious reasons you know it feels like a different tournament because then there's that other grade a power that's not there but to see these other teams playing really well you know slovakia yeah. doing what they did the czechs doing what they did that's good for the sport because you need more countries where this thing is really going to be is going to be big like germany it's going to happen maybe but it's slow to get there so you know you know us and canada's always going to be there same with finland and sweden but to see other countries getting there and especially those two, that's fun to see. That's pretty cool.
1: Yeah, yeah, for sure. I mean, I thought had deserved – I thought they were the best team in the tournament uh, for me. Um, They came in with a plan, a strategy based around their team. The players executed. Everything went well. I mean, they started off with a win against Canada – uh, and they then beat they didn't, their ass in that game. and then they didn't really take their foot off the pedal the whole way. I mean, even when things were going down, were getting, you know, weren't going well, they kept their heads down. They just did what they had to do. They stuck to the plan. It was great to see. And I mean, it was, it's, it, it was funny. Cause I, I was, as I kept watching it, I was talking, uh, to O'Brien and, and my wife and stuff being like, this is what the Panthers are trying to do. Like, they're trying to have these three, four defensemen who are just relentless, who are able to work the advantage of going downhill against opposing defense, ma- defense of units and find the space, find the weaknesses, and break them down over time and just flood the net. Uh, you know, it was, it was Svozel and uh, and Yeracek uh, who are... Um, Columbus Blue Jackets prospects. I mean, they were great at it. Um, you know, they had spa check. You had tear check. I mean, they had guys who were able to do what Montour does, but then also have Forsling defensive awareness and timing and like ability to just be there, be back all of a sudden, you know, like, so, so, Man, it was, it's cool, cool to see what Florida's trying to do or half trying to do, however you want to look at it. Uh, and, and, you know, I think th- if they get there, you know, hopefully they have similar success to Chechi and they just get better overtime a lot.
0: And I want to talk about just the draft for a second because we're going to get to the Panthers, which it's funny how there's simultaneously a ton to talk about with them and nothing to talk about with them, and we will do that in a right, second.
1: Yeah, I mean, yeah, they're stuck in, in uh Where are they limbo. used to be.
0: Uh, I want to say first and foremost, like, because the draft structure is now officially what they changed in the, the COVID CBA, if you are 12th in the standings, as in you have the 12th worst record, you cannot get the number one overall pick. They have limited that. It's only 11 and up, and the odds are pretty low. So that's basically for the Panthers is basically what I'm saying. wait, is, wait,
1: wait, 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 what? Really? Yeah.
0: That's that's the new rules. From eleven twelve to sixteen, you can't get the number so, one over pick. So
1: the goal is to just get like the so it if you when if you're what about the second
0: and third? Uh I believe you can win the lottery, but you can only move up ten spots. That's how okay. it works now. I think Okay,
1: so basically
0: If they finish with 14, a good enough record, get they cannot <laughs> give the comedians of the dart, but maybe they can give them get, Adam fantelli. Get,
1: yeah, but no, but like if you get to fourteen, you're giving them four, which will be Mitchkov. Oh no, no, no!
0: You're still giving them an incredibly good play. Yeah, yeah. But the fear but like that you, everyone has now, and it's reasonable, I, is that they're going to give them Connor Bedard through their own. Play. Well, I I mean, my fear is the top three. That I mean,
1: that's my fear. If it's outside the top three, I think you can live with it. You look at you look at San Jose, you look at Colorado, you look at Ottawa, and like those trades that they did. Um, where you know Ottawa picked Brady Kachuk instead of, and then they ended up giving up Bo and Byram and stuff. Those were all four picks and stuff. You know, it kind of, and what they traded for Duchene and all that stuff. Like, you know, there's um, for me, I think a lot more room. But the way I see it, uh, Mitchkov's obviously a asterisk wild card because of the contract in Russia and all of that, and you know he's only really now since he's been traded to Sochi in the KHL and getting, you know, more than a shift or two a game, um, finally starting to have a good draft year. So I don't, you know, it's I, I don't know if he's going to be as much of a hurt if he goes to Montreal to lose that I would be like, oh, man, we would be awesome to have him. But I guess but we'll it's, see. It's funny because I was here.
0: reading The Athletic today and, and Down Goes Brown added them to the tank index. But it's like the funniest thing for the Panthers is at this point, even though losing probably helps them in the long term because it gets them closer to changing the coach, they shouldn't be losing because if they do, then they might back into giving Montreal a franchise player. And I that's mean, not something I want to say. Isn't yeah?
1: Isn't that the conundrum?
0: And I mean, I think that's kind of. I don't know if that's how the players
1: feel, but I think, uh, I think as, that's I kind think of it's like now a better time than ever to transition into the Panthers talk. Uh, yeah, but I mean, just to just to, just to finish out, I think the top three is where there's a there's a no, I wouldn't say a big drop off, but the top three are the, are game changers mm. this this year, I think. I think, I that think after the top three you're gonna get a good player and stuff, but not something not a player that you wouldn't get at that spot kind of every year. I you know, like I I I mean you know, there's good years, there's strong years and stuff, but I, I think the 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 three the three prospects that go this year and the top three are going to be ones that you would regret almost immediately.
0: The good news for the Panthers in this very morbid way is that there are so many teams in the league that are just awful this year that even if they continue on this death march to 82 points, there is still fair enough distance between them and other teams that they're not going to fall too far. Even though, obviously, they are not a very good hockey team right now, in spite of the fact that they beat the abs. Funny how that works. Um, I think we should transition to this team now because we have gotten to this. They're
1: drafting 11th right now. Yeah, it's it's 11th
0: based on overall points or points percentage. Depends on where you look. Uh, And that's, again, the the Florida Panthers' annual draft spot before they actually got good for a hot minute uh, and then became themselves again. So, like... They're not again, the odds of them winning the lottery are still pretty short, but I would like them to cancel out that opportunity at the earliest possible occasion, which is why them winning, even if it means they're further reinforcing Paul Maurice staying, which is bad, is actually but, not a I bad mean, thing. Uh,
1: to be honest, I don't think they can win they can string enough wins together with Paul Maurice as a head coach to make the playoffs. I think the oh, no, only they have no chance. Like like to me it's like is one of the only ways they can get a three or four or five game win streak by turfing Maurice. And you know how usually after you get a coaching change, you get that dead cat bounce. Um, in this
0: case, literally.
1: You know, like would you be able to, you know, ride that wave a little longer to get back in it? You know, the team start, it starts to steamroll. You get Duclair back. You know, maybe you make a, a, a trade like Goodis to get a, to you know, try to get a first or a really good defensive prospect for gudas um and you know shake up the locker room a bit you know wake him up be like hey you know we're gonna start selling off people are gonna be out of jobs here if we don't make the playoffs we don't turn it around you know maurice is gone let's go i i, I think maybe you you can get this team to sh- i think something like that's gonna have to happen because even watching them against colorado they started off great but as soon as like one thing happens you know then the then the then the voices and bob had Starts going. He gives up the soft goal. The whole team, you know, Paul Maurice can't, with a lead, Paul Maurice can't do anything but have people stand around and protect the lead. I think that what um,
0: what has happened in this game in particular was fascinating to me because it was a heck of a microcosm of what this season has been for the Florida Panthers. The first two periods were a good sign of what could have been and then the first 13 minutes of the third period were an incredible sign of that's why this team is bad. Like I'm watching the first two periods and I'm stunned that they're playing as well as they are. And I do want to spend some time on the ads shortly, but I'm looking at how well they are playing and I'm going to myself. Wow. Why couldn't they have done this more often? Why were they not capable of doing they this? They can't. <laughs> they only get
1: a few. I mean, Colorado is gassed or, you know, they're having a tough year uh Injuries Florida ran. they actually you know, have an injury
0: excuse. Well like
1: every once in a while with with the way Florida season's going and with how much they're probably getting spurned and pushed and trying to get, you know, you know, the they're trying to get things jump started and they're doing the line blenders and stuff like eventually you're going to get some some sparks. You're going to, you know, start to get things in motion and do well. I mean, cuz they're not a bad team. They're not a bad roster. They're a hell of a lot better than 500. Uh, even when they don't play that great. Uh, and, you know, I, I think that they got lucky in that first period. And if Colorado hits the net more, if some of those calls, uh, you, if the refs were calling more things, you know, I think it's a more of a 9-8 shootout. And who knows if Florida's on the
0: best end of that or if they can keep up. Um,
1: but so I think what's
0: funny is – when I look at a game like that, and I just, it, again, it's a summary of the microcosm of the season. Like, Anton Lindell on the wing is something we talked about in the preseason as just a non-starter. But last night, but, it worked for really dumb reasons, but it worked. And it's well, like, that's it's not, not going to work it works for dumb
1: reason. And it's not like, like, we wanted Lindell to be a center because the idea is he's your two center. So, like, why wouldn't you develop him? The issue is he's having a bad year because he's asked to to do a ton of defensive work for the defensemen so they can get up in the play or they can stay up in the play and they don't have to worry about getting back. And he's also had worse line mates. The third line this year, we have more of a top six and a bottom six instead of a top nine focused on scoring and a fourth line who does both and even focused on scoring themselves. That's what we had last year. Mm -hmm. So, I mean, we wanted a different team like I'm fine with Lindell moving up because if Paul Maurice is going to continually put him with cousins and white and these guys who can't finish chances, these guys who can't keep plays alive, these guys who just grind the game down, you're not going to see the best of Lindell. And you're definitely not going to develop him who you don't have many first round picks. He's your best first round pick. You're going to have in a for a while. You know, (laughs) if they kept this year's first, that wouldn't be the case, but of course they didn't. So, you know, you got to make him work. you got to make him the best Anton Lindell he can be. And so, yeah, you put him with Barkov so they can speak, finish, and go do their thing and stuff, and that's great. Uh, they finally put together a decent top two lines. I mean, like, and that's what Maurice can do. He can put together top two lines, but he can't really ever figure out a way to balance the lineup so they can have three decent lines with this team. And for me, that's pretty sad.
0: It is very Um, sad. I I do want to say, like, apparently, according to Ray Ferraro, and God, what a blessing it is to have Ray Ferraro do a Panthers game because you get a lot of really good insights. He said that Londell is one of Maurice's favorite players. And you could see why on the goal, because he was a one-man forecheck against two really good defensemen, and he created a play out of nothing that led to a goal. And it was that kind of moment where I'm like, I see why Paul Maurice wants him to play on the wing, even if I know that him playing on the wing is something I do not want to see very often, if ever, but I understood the context well, I mean, of why it mean, It's
1: different. Everything's changed. We said that at the beginning of the year because the team was supposed to be an actual team, an actual threat, competitive, and be in the playoffs. Now they're scrambling. Now they're hanging on for dear life, and now we're just caring about winning three games in a row. We don't, you know, like that's the immediate focus uh, and getting Barkov and Lindell scoring again. So uh, putting them together makes a lot of sense in that way. What doesn't make a lot of sense, I, I think, is the continued insistence on trying to keep it a top six and a bottom six. And the, I mean, it seems like ever since uh, what I would. Now, is it confirmed that they had a closed door meeting?
0: I don't know when this would happen. A couple have games ago? I don't know when this would have been. You know? If I had to guess and I wasn't, you know, paying attention, I would have thought it would have been after the Rangers game probably, but again, that's all I don't know.
1: Well, there was there's rumors, I mean, I saw talk of a closed-door meeting around the same time and then there's talk of the closed-door meeting and then they did the practice of transition work and everything like that right out of it. Then they beat up Montreal 7 to something and then like it seemed like the whip was cracked cracked back, and they went back into their turtle shell um, for, for a couple games. Uh, but I, I don't know, but around uh, coming out of the break and stuff, I've noticed that it, it's not as much as I would like to see, but the defensemen are starting to at least activate from deeper in the zone. So rather than leaving the center to be the D two almost and, and partner and get D D D passes and, and retrieve pucks and be the first pass on the breakout and that kind of stuff, you're now seeing the the tandems kind of working more in tandem, funny enough. Uh novel novel idea. But uh so the centers can be, you know, above the red line, above the crease and starting their pass with speed to get some breakout passes and stretching the ice a little more. We I think, did you know, see
0: that against the Avalanche a little bit. The second yeah, goal was a I lot. But like I don't know I don't know if it's
1: if if it if it only happens in games when teams are, you know, sloppy and stuff cuz it's inconsistent. It's not as much as you want to see. I don't know if it's something they're doing on purpose or if it's just something that's happening because of the way the game's unfolding. So I would like to see more of that because I mean, that's what Florida, you talked about this all the time, Florida's missing their identity, or or actually, they're mourning their identity, they're not missing it, they're mourning it, they saw what it was last year, and now it's not that, they're being told what they're doing is going to get them to win in the playoffs, but there's probably a decent number of people on the team who don't even know if they're going to be here next year when they actually could even make the playoffs. So like there's going to be a point where I think Florida needs to really push if they want it this year, uh, to, to, to kind of change their fortunes, um, and, and get a little better attitudes and confidence on the team and, and to make more of this team. Uh, and, and to go back to their identity, which was, you know, stretching the ice, being fast, you know, because that's the way the game's going. That's where every team's doing. It's a copycat league. The Avalanche won the Stanley Cup doing that. Uh, you see multiple teams being aggressive on their forecheck, being aggressive with their defensemen. We just talked about Chechia doing it. I mean, national teams at the junior level are doing it. College teams are doing it, building their programs around it. NHL teams are, and Florida just needs to do a little better job of, you know, improving their awareness and stuff, but they got to get back to it. They definitely went way too
0: far the other way. I talked about this with you, and I talked about it in June when I wrote my, uh, did the Panthers rob Peter to pay Paul Maurice? Yeah. which when I uh, that if their you can identity get, find was that as a rush team. And something that I'm coming to realize now as we, you know, get further from that moment was... A lot of that was really good coaching from Joel Quenville. Again, all of his other transgressions aside, that dude can coach hockey. He found that the best way to maximize this team's success was playing the way they did. Like, there are Quenville principles in obviously what they were doing, but he felt that the best way for that team to play was be on the rush. You have got an incredible number of athletes on that team who – are incredible as skaters we've talked about that a lot particularly from the blue line in terms of just their foot speed their awareness their instincts the whole system worked last year because not only did it mask the flaws that this team has in two areas defensive awareness in their own zone and finishing and i want to talk about that in a little bit but this team really just maximized the skill of we're going to be faster than you not just in the neutral zone and in transition but we're going to be faster than you in the offensive zone and terms of puck retrieval and doing all of these things that were why they were a hundred twenty two point team. And Emily Kaplan said it last night as well, like the Panthers last year played pond hockey and they were really, really good at it. They were not good at it in the playoffs because they didn't actually have a plan B because but, they leaned yeah, I mean, into the pond hockey. I don't but like I don't think pond hockey was
1: their identity. I think that's the mistake. Their identity was playing fast. Their identity was pushing the game on the rush to put the team on the back foot and see how they respond. Yes, you know, like th- I think that's what they should is be. Not the way to describe but like, this, but you know what I mean. Yes, like, no, you're right. You're hunting. So you take the but. But pond hockey is kind of what it came out to because so many teams weren't ready for it in the regular season, so it turned into pond hockey. That's how they responded, and Florida was happy to play it. because yeah. you Cause know, they, they got knew the lead at that. Compete, point. They could outscore anybody, yeah.
0: so it didn't matter. But,
1: but I think what they should like—they should have identified that their identity was that: was playing fast, was being aggressive, was being forward-thinking, with you know, with the D and everything, and pushing for goals. That's what their identity. And, and you know, I think that they could have added defensive elements to it.
0: Colorado and, that and Tampa found a way to do that, and Toronto's yeah. done a really good job of that.
1: I mean, a lot of teams have found ways to do that. I mean, if you, if you think about how, um, I'm sorry. Uh, if you think about sort of like what San Jose is able to do, I mean, they're not necessarily good, but if you think that San Jose, um, is, I mean, they're having a better year than they should be based on that roster and everything why because they found last
0: month they're like the second best possession team in the league in the last month
1: they found a way to make their defense work i mean it helps with eric carlson but again the eric carlson wasn't this last year they found a way to with losing burns they found a way to make their defense and eric carlson work for them to get as many points as possible and it's it's working in that sense and I'm gonna be honest. I would have thought that San Jose would be below Anaheim and and possibly even Chicago, just because I di- I didn't
0: I I just didn't think they'd be this good. I mean, yeah, I, I'm not... not very good, but they have a better record than you think they should, and also like they're playing better than they should. And there is a yeah, way. Yeah, they're not. I think they have the a lot of. Here... Is they have that, a lot of undeserved losses, uh, for sure. I think the lesson here is not that the Panthers had to run away from what they were. They had to add to what they were, and they, they identified correctly that their style didn't work as it was constituted in the playoffs. But what they needed to find is a way to add to that and a new voice that could help them add to that. And Paul Maurice, for however much he's tried to do it, He's going to go back on his instincts as a 58-year-old hockey coach.
1: Yeah, but, I I mean, just was – what did the playoffs prove? To me, the playoffs didn't prove that their style doesn't work. I mean, it it proved that they didn't do what they needed to do to give their style a chance in the playoffs. They didn't have a coach because when the regular season, more times than not, they – did from the beginning of the game – they would push play and and try to turn into a pond hockey game. Even even if they gave up goals, if the game was being if the game or not not pond hockey, but the game was playing up and down off the rush, they knew over time, over sixty minutes,
0: it would add up. And they had How that. How many confidence. times last year did they have these like awful did, periods in games they'd go down four like four nothing, four one, even five one, and you're just like they're not going to do this again, aren't they? Right, but
1: and they but did. Like, you know, because the other team, you know, eventually didn't respond. They didn't respond by stopping the killing the game's momentum, turning it into a slu- into you know skating through sludge, turn it into you know a neutral zone lock, really batten down the hatches and and make Florida think.
0: This Florida team, couldn't respond. I said that, this last year, and you just highlighted it again. The Panthers last year were entirely based on instinct, and when you had to slow the game down by a beat, and they needed to take that beat to think about what they had to do next, that's where you got them. And what is happening this year is they're having to think way too much. And this is not a team that is designed. And I'm not saying this that this is a dumb team. I'm saying that this I, I is a team that, that's got so many great players based on instinct that when you slow the game down, it takes them out of what makes them really good, particularly defensively. I, and... I would say that this is a dumb team. I, I'm comper- I'm
1: completely fine saying this is a dumb team. This is a team that hired Paul Maurice. This is a team that their defense... Like, their defense don't... Forsling is the only one with defensive awareness. Mark Stahl is probably second on defensive awareness. He's just too washed to really use it well. Mm-hmm. Like, they, they don't have... Like, they are somewhat of a dumb team. They're very athletic. They're very skilled. They're very talented and all this stuff. But, I mean, like, you know, some of the, like, Gudis and Bennett and a lot of their discipline is dumb. Like, like their inability to uh, figure out, you know, the right times to jump and not jump is dumb. Their coaching is dumb. Like, how they use the power play and everything and why they aren't better at some of this stuff is dumb. You know, what the choices they made last year, not hiring a coach, was dumb. The choice to trade an unprotected first for Ben Sherat is dumb. You know, like, this is a dumb franchise, a dumb team, and and I think they need to get smarter. But they need to get smarter without being slower. That's the key. Because if you try to play slow, I mean, you might – You might lock yourself into a cup, but it's going to be so much harder than trying to keep up with the changing game. I mean, it is ridiculous how much faster it's getting and how much precision you have to have uh, in passing, in positioning and being where you need to be, because if you're not there at the right time. These players are so fast with moving the puck, at finding opening lanes, at thinking, at being creative, that you're already beat as soon as you realize where you need to be or that you're out position. Even if it's like a split-second hesitation on dropping back to cover the D or just stepping up to break up a play in the neutral zone and you go a a second too late, you're beat. And it happens to Gudis. It happens to uh you know i don't want to keep picking on gudas because he'll come find me uh, but <laughs> he has the you nickname know, it, The butcher it, for a reason you know like they don't man like last year we talked about the lack of game management it's dumb that they're still having game management problems mm-hmm. yep like I-, I don't you know so to me some of like i i want this team to get Smarter, I I think you know. Hopefully, you're looking at Casey Fitzgerald, you know, Boston College, uh, of the of the Tom Fitzgerald, uh, and obviously Matthew Kachuk's uh, cousin. I should say obviously, but I didn't say know that before you but, told me. Well, so the, so the Fitzgeralds, the Hayes's and the Kachuk's are all related. Of course, so one it's one big hockey, American hockey
0: family. Oh, um, ah, boy, yeah. I want to Although make a point I think... on Matthew Kachuk, too, because uh, at some point in this show, because there's a reason why he's, like, having an incredible season, one of the best forwards in the entire league, while the rest <laughs> of the team is not very good. It's
1: because he's a player that doesn't necessarily
0: play with speed. Yep. <laughs> yep. This Matthew Kachuk, when the Panthers traded for him, I guess we'll do it now. I mean, but it's why he... Eric Stahl is getting some... I mean,
1: when you... when. If you are an ice hockey player playing to Paul Maurice's system, it's going to be better if you're Eric Stahl versus, like, Uh yeah.
0: Even. And and that's that's a very fair comparison, and that's still... It's, it kind of is. It's really funny how that works. But the one thing that Matthew Kachuk is incredibly good at is playing at any different kind of tempo. When you look at a player that, you know, has to be at speed in order to play really well. Carter Verhage is having a good season, but it's, I think, a little different with him. But when you think about Kachuk, he plays a slow style of game pretty well because he's used to that. He played for Daryl Sutter, so obviously he's used to that. But also he thinks the game in a way that is just so quick. But he can slow down and look like he's slowing the game down, but he's doing that because he's going to make a decision no one else can possibly make, and that's why he's so good at it. How often do you see him when it looks like they're going on a rush chance Peel back a little bit, whether it's in the neutral zone or whether it's in the offensive zone, but that's because he's going to make a pass because he knows that there's going to be an opening in this spot based on that tendency, and that's why he slows it down, and because he's built like an ox, nobody could get the puck off of him, and that's, again, Matthew Kachuk being a unicorn. You don't need to be playing at speed in order to do that, and that's why he's having an incredible season when no one else is, and... When the Panthers were trading for a unicorn, they sure as hell got a unicorn. And, again, all credit to Matthew Kachuk for having the season he's having when the rest of the team is being dragged down by Paul Maurice's nonsense. And I wanted to talk about— Well, I'll say this. If Matthew Kachuk wasn't having
1: the season he's having, I I think— I don't even want to think about that. The year would be over, and we'd all know that basically they were keeping— Maurice and possibly even Zito around just to guillotine them at the end because it would be
0: that bad. I yeah, mean, because, like, I mean, if Chuck wasn't doing well, oh, man. Oof. I like mean, if he, he single-handedly was... won them the game last night because at points whoa, this whoa, year.
1: Whoa, 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 whoa,
0: whoa, okay, whoa. Okay, not, not, not like that, but, I mean, he scored the winning I mean, goal. Yeah, but Barkov with oh, the yeah. amazing
1: – I mean, Lundell, that first goal was Lindell making something out of nothing giving it to Barkov, who probably should have just got a scoring chance but turned it into a goal because with his reach. Can I, make,
0: can I make one comment on yeah. Sasha Barkov? But then,
1: but then, I mean, yeah, and then his slap pass to Kachuk for Kachuk's first goal and and, and yeah. a lot of – I mean, Kachuk's – like, Kachuk had the goal, but it was a bunch of players in front of the net batting at and stuff, and that's Kachuk goals. I mean, I, I'm not complaining about it, but I think – He's the he's the guy that's in the right spot in clutch times, but it's a, it was definitely the Oh, start. it was one of
0: Barkov's best it games was, of the season. And it was
1: one of Ekblad's best games in at least the last handful, for sure. I yes. mean, like yeah. it, it, he wasn't fumbling pucks. He wasn't – I mean, okay, so, tangent. Fair. And, and I want to preface this tangent with, I don't know the equipment managers and I'm not trying to put anything on them or whatever, but I think by now I've noticed and other people have noticed too road games, especially in the first period, everyone's sliding around too much. Everyone's fall. Like, I don't, uh, I don't know how that Got into what we were just talking about, but I, I really You're just are talking need
0: to get about Ekblad, and it's happened. Yeah, oh, more yeah. But than Ackblad, think, yeah, he, yeah, yeah.
1: So he wasn't falling, is, is where I was going with that. But I mean, I think that the Panthers need to. I think it was Barry Rothman on Twitter was saying that, you know, with the different ice conditions, they should be adjusting the profile and hollow on the skates, and, you know, they should be dialed in. So, especially with the way that they snap in, it's really easy to, like, have different pairs of steel for different ice conditions and different rinks and have them dialed in. I mean, bands tour and when they go to different arenas that they've been to, they have a different audio setup and a different, you know, levels and speakers and how they do stuff to get the acoustics to work right and everything. And they're dialed in after a couple of years. I think the Panthers should be dialed in at some of these rinks because it's, it's kind of an issue if you're sliding and falling around. I mean, You saw a couple times, you know, taking out their own players. Oh, that
0: happened on a breakaway early in the period.
1: Right. You know, I mean, so, I mean, it can be a a huge issue. It would be like, you know, if Florida constantly had bad ice at home games, which, you know, they definitely don't, don't have, you know, at certain times in the spring or or in the playoffs, but, uh,
0: or even. Well, we know that it's hard to create good, consistent ice in South Florida when the temperature is 85 and humid and the Panthers for years should have taken advantage of that by having, well, I mean, you know, Doug McLean used to do that. He'd give the, uh, the Zamboni driver instructions to give it an extra flood to make the ice garbage to play their style. I mean, that's, it's not apocryphal that happened, but like it, it, and I understand that Florida has a a trickier situation because their ice is obviously different than you're going to have in Denver in January, but Still, you are right about that. And when we talk about margins, everything matters. I wanted to – and it's a good point you made because I, I do see people talking about that. And obviously, as somebody who's never played, equipment stuff, like types – you
1: know, Equipment is huge. And, well, and it I'm, is, but I have no ability to talk about it properly. I, I mean, we can – I mean, a good – if you want to talk right now, if you want to look on Twitter, you know, not you right now, but the listeners, and look at the conversation around Jack Campbell – He's he was somebody who didn't he had a much older style of goalie pads, the leg pads, which were much, I, I think, softer and just they were for when he was updating to the technique that Spencer Knight uses with, where they push off the posts and how they square up and all that different stuff. It kind of requires a newer model of pads that are specifically made to be, you know, for that style Uh, And he's having some trouble adjusting to it, and there's some weird different goals and stuff because of the different gaps and stuff. Obviously, that's a extreme example because goalie equipment, you can kind of and saving pucks, you can understand that a little easier. But I mean, there's a reason that like uh, Connor McDavid keeps going back into like the original CCM tax like stick and the original Jet Speed skate and stuff like that or tax skate. Um, You know, like he's when when players find something they like it's it's really good and then sometimes when they're adjusting to new stuff uh it it's it can mentally get in their head adjusting uh, to
0: this new system i mean that also plays a role i i want to talk about now like where this is heading going forward because while i think they've played a little better at times since the Holiday break. They've had some actually decent wins. And this, if they didn't blow the three goal lead by, you know, turtling, that probably would have been their best win of the season because they actually played really good first two periods, even in spite of some of the mistakes that we saw. Again, they have, and now we're thinking about the collapse as opposed to everything else. This team plays terribly with a lead, but it also plays terribly from behind. And that's why I wanted to focus on the coaching of Paul Maurice. And I was, you sent me the link to the Evolving uh, Hockey podcast. Wonderful work the Evolving Wild Twins do. And they wanted to know, and a lot of people want to know, why are the Panthers where they are in the standings? And when you look at just the raw numbers, wrap them, all of that, you will go, okay, wait a minute. This team shouldn't be as bad if it's top 10 in expected goals. And you'll go, okay, their specialty teams are bad. Their goaltending's not been very good. And you go, that makes sense, but it doesn't explain everything because other teams that have, you know, not great special teams and have had goaltending issues, the Kings with a comparison, are having a much better season. So why is that? And I think we've gotten a little bit to it with the system, but it's something I wanted to mention with the centers and why I've found the criticism of Barkoff this season really unbearable and also why I think Anton Lundell playing on the wing has actually helped. And you mentioned this earlier in the show. Jack Hahn talked about it with us when we had him on the show in October, November. The system asks the forwards to work way harder than they need to in order to assist defensemen in the breakout and to assist defensemen in the just way that. In
1: everything on, pretty the other, much everything, on the defensive side of the red
0: line. Yes. And, and,
1: and I mean, even just so much more, like you will see Sam Bennett playing defense, like playing as a defenseman so much more five on five than you would pretty much for like any other team because my, like defenseman, even Mark Stahl, is allowed to just hang out in the offensive zone by the net if he wants to and it's Bennett's job to hang back for him. Mhm. And usually in other systems you would rotate out a lot quicker. Like it could still happen, but you know, and it's you, really you go, funny how one the of, the of the goals net, last the night coming I think at the shot Bennett
0: was playing essentially as a third defenseman. It was really weird. Yeah. But I mean, at, at times it's good at you know,
1: it's just like when when you I think when you start like my issue with this Maurice system and everything is that Maurice came in and he said, All right, we need, like, what do they want to keep? They want to keep the active D. They want to make sure Montour plays really well and, and Ekblad gets his 20 goals and Forsling can do up and down the ice, wonder, st- magical stuff that he does. I, I freaking love Forsling, man. Um, <laughs> but, uh, you know, we want, to, we want to highlight that. They want to keep that. Okay. But they struggle defensively. So, how am I going to do that? how am I going to keep that defensive creativity and and freedom while getting better defensively? Okay. Well that means winger's going to have to backtrack more. Winger's going to have to be harder and, and focus more in defensive aspect of the game and centers are going to have to be way, you know, asked, you know, twice more. And it's going to be, you know, they're going to have to be a lot more of the immediate help for D in the corners, so that the D can be more planted in the front of the net. So if the puck gets free and gets going, they're in a better spot in the center of the ice to get up the ice and help whichever way that breakout goes um, and be an option. And, and to me, that is not how I would have done it. That is, again, I think, uh, operating more out of mitigating harm versus trying to maximize potential. Um, you know, I would have, why can't we, like, they were saying in the game last night on ESPN that Montour considers himself a rover and everything? Why can't Montour consider himself a first pairing defenseman? Like a two way guy that does it all. He has the athletic ability to do it, he has the skill set to do it. He makes some great defensive plays when he's not in his, when, you know, when, when he's, you know, playing at his best or when he's not in his own head or, or running around and stuff. I think if, you know, it would be so much better to to say, "Hey, this is the system we want," but to be able to do it, we just need to sure tighten up these little things. We need to make sure that we're we're you know in our positions and activating from our positions instead of cheating, instead of needing to get up you know cheat up ice to to get up there. You know, we can we have forwards who can gain possession of the zone and we can come in as the fourth guy instead of the third guy, instead of the second guy all the time, instead of leading the rush, let's trust our forwards to get the puck up there for us and give it to us when we get there. You I, are I mean,
0: getting onto something I think that's really critical here and why I've said it's kind of hard to diagnose the Panthers' problems if you're not watching them pretty closely because if you just do a surface-level evaluation of their numbers – And you see, okay, their five-on-five numbers are pretty good. But you aren't seeing what's happening. And I'm not saying that this is not watch the game thing. This is like one of those things where you need to really look into little tactical details. And that's a hard thing to do if you're not watching it pretty closely. And Corey Snyder was talking about this on Twitter. And he agrees with you that they're just asking their forwards to do so much because they want to keep the active defensemen. So they that's fine, but they're missing something in that, and that's why the system's not working. And what my point was to say is they have to work so much harder to generate offense. So when they do generate offense, the chances aren't going in because not only are you not getting them to the best players because they're going to Eric Stahl and Nick Cousins, and that's a downgrade from what you had a year ago, players are more tired because they're not able to do as much in the entirety of a... 45, one, 40 second, one minute shift in the offensive zone because they have to do more work defensively. So, particularly your centers, which is why it feels like Barkov struggled so much for offense. It took him until mid December to get an even strength goal because he's been asked to do more defensively. Why it feels like Anton Lindell is scratching and clawing at times because he's asked to do more defensively as a center to help out the defensemen. It is a defense oriented system. But they're not orienting the defenseman in the way that actually maximizes what this team can do. And as we said, you're kind of fitting square pegs into round holes rather than if you viewed it from the other way around and you viewed the system in a different way than I think they're viewing it from, which was defense first out as opposed to what actually worked. Well, our team's a rush-based team, so how do we add defensive acumen onto what we do well on the rush? That's kind of why I think this team is struggling because they're not better defensively than they were a year ago. They're still making very similar kinds of mistakes while they've somewhat neutered what they're good at offensively and the chances aren't falling to good players. You know, they had the second most posts and crossbars hit in the league this year and they're not finishing very well. Last year they finished really well because they were such a good team when it came to volume. You know what I mean? Yeah, but
1: I mean... I also, like, the way Florida played last year in regular season was they had so much flow. They had so much precision with their puck movement. Like, they were snapping passes, so it was easy to snap shots. They were accurate on passes. It was easy to be accurate on the shots. They were up and down. They were flying. They were in a good flow. Everything felt in stride. You know what I mean? Yes. Like, this year, they're they're you know it's just not the same thing they're in the mud they're whacking and hacking they're gripping the stick too tight um you Everything know they're trying to make things off the harder. cycle and i They're think trying that's to the, claw the sum- back
0: that's the summary i think of why this team's yeah. really terrible when they're trailing and, but you know think about like you
1: could get a lot of comp like last year they they definitely practiced and like when they did game day state, skates it was mostly just flow drills and stuff like that this year and stuff it's been a lot more systems and stuff obviously it's been a lot more other stuff they don't get the rush and the flow of of games really a lot so like where is that confidence coming from to 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 score to to think that way i mean one of the things i I t- I took from playing hockey and, and again I was not a big scorer, I was the d- defenseman and everything, but when it came to just what I was good at defensively, uh and, and like on shorthanded and stuff, feel like get like if I was out of sync, I was I, I, I played how I felt. So if I was in sync, I played really good. And there was little things I, I could do and little things of our practice that would get me in sync. Florida hasn't found the, their way to get in sync like they did last year. They, they, it was kind of natural in games and practices. This year it doesn't feel like they're they're doing the things to put themselves into their natural rhythm, into how they play their best, where they're not thinking about passing. Because when you're thinking about passing, you're like, you know, you're not moving the puck quick enough and you're not going to be accurate. So I I think there's a lot about that, but before we wrap this up, I did want to talk about Casey Fitzgerald. Yes. uh, A little more. Um, Obviously this is another defenseman coming from Buffalo. I mean, they've gotten two Anaheim D and two Buffalo D and Montour is one of each of those D. (laughs) True. Um, Now, uh, and you know, he's 25 i think he's a 97 birth year or something like that um so he's right in that age age range that they you know typically like to pick up on waivers and stuff there's you know some pedigree in there you know the world junior uh gold medals i think he's won an ncaa title two at boston college um you know there's uh a when i was looking you know just on natural st- statric just kind of running through uh, i was looking at his relative counts to other players on buffalo now when you look at like his expected you know his course he for expected goals and all that stuff like the offensive stuff he's like minus one two percent off of like what the buffalo Sabres are that's fine but he's in the positives by more than that when you look at the the against stats and the against rates so it looked like by those metrics he was you know on the plus side on the plus half of the sabers defensively um so just judging off of that and knowing that they've done well on the waiver wire before i'm optimistic as i can be for what is our seventh d at the moment um if he if Fitzgerald is able to give some meaningful minutes, put up fifteen, sixteen, seventeen minutes um of good hockey like Mahora has been able to, maybe that allows Zito to trade Gudis uh at the deadline. And Mark Stahl. <laughs> well, I'm gonna be honest with you. I bet you I bet you what would happen is Zito would not trade a stall unless either stall unless it was to Carolina
0: I don't know about that I I have no idea what would happen but like I I I I don't I can't
1: see the stall brothers getting treated like that I I mean I I I would I'm not saying that that's what I'm advocating for but I mean Zito didn't buy out Hornquist out of respect and loyalty to him yeah, so... Even that would put the team in a pretty hard spot. True. So, I mean, I don't think he's going to trade the stalls when, at best, you get, what, like a fourth, fifth, or sixth or something for them? I mean, you're not getting much if you trade them.
0: You're not getting much if you trade them. So they still think, should do it, but...
1: But is that worth pissing off agents or the inner sanctum or the inner circle, or whatever well, they call considering it? considering they you
0: just I mean? traded for Matthew Kachuk's cousin, I mean... Right. But, I mean, I'm just saying traded you, for you, took on waivers, excuse
1: me. You know, they, they went out of their way for Eric Stahl to sign him. They're clearly um, fans of the stalls. And I if Maurice
0: is still here by the deadline, I can't see those guys well, getting I him. mean, Jared Stahl is an assistant at the checkers, so I mean yeah. it's quite fair. There's only one yeah. stall that isn't working for the Panthers at this very present moment in time. I want to focus on the trade deadline before we start to wrap this up. Because it is, there's been some talk about obviously maybe trading Bennett and Reinhardt. Now, uh, Emily Kaplan reported that Bill Zito's not interested in that. That's what you would say well, on January 10th. I don't know what that's going to yeah. mean in seven weeks when the deadline's and coming. And I also
1: want to say that, not that, not that Bill Zito is being intentionally mis, or you know, misleading and everything, but. I don't know how much I would trust anything Bill Zito says in the public sphere based on the last 12 months. He's well, said also- multiple things, and then obviously he has the freedom to change. But he said multiple things, and it's been a different way. Just like the same things with, oh, we're not trading Mike Richards and Jeff
0: Carter. Until they did. Later. Yeah. Until they did. Yeah. So here's oh. where – I I know you stand in the same spot at the trade deadline. This team's not making the playoffs. They haven't won more than two games in a row all season. That used to be a problem with the Panthers until the last couple of years and when it wasn't, and now it's a problem again. So, you'd have to win a really long winning streak, and they're not capable of doing that the way things are going. So, to me, anything not nailed down you get rid of. I don't know how Radko Gudis isn't at least a somewhat decently priced commodity at the trade deadline. If the rumors we're hearing about Joel Edmondson and Vladislav Gavrikov are true, then why isn't Radko Gudis also fetching something similar in terms of price? Yeah. Yep. maybe claiming Fitzgerald is insurance for when inevitable. Like he's, they're preparing just in case they do have to trade Gudis, and I think they should do that. Um, I think if you can trade the stalls, you should do it. Maybe somebody would want them. I don't know if that's going to happen or not. Eric Stall's actually playing decently well, so maybe. Well, home. He's
1: not though. I, like, I he's, know.
0: I know. But he's still.
1: just. I mean, he's on a luck eater. Congratulations, Mark Piss- Pissick was on a similar one. I mean, as a forward. I mean, like I don't. I don't care. Like, I uh, he. If you look at the underlying numbers, if you look at the eye test he's not playing. No, well. he, I I completely
0: and understand that, but like I I Colin White gone. Colin White. He's yep. a UFA gone. Nick Just Cousins. like Cousins
1: I would trade, but maybe a little harder with another year left on that contract which I can't believe they uh, two years for Nick Cousins. Silliness.
0: Silliness. Oh, we're go- we're going to have a we're going to have a step back this year. I wonder why you idiot. Your Ryan, son, Lomberg, Nick Ryan Lomberg too, by the way. He also has another year. Wouldn't right. like some some team might do but that. It, if again, anything not nailed down, you consider trading like that.
1: Yeah. And if I mean I
0: wouldn't trade Lomberg, but Okay. Uh, just because like what are you
1: gonna get for him?
0: Like, I mean, what nothing, you, but
1: but, but uh, so you just keep him. Because I mean he's not that I mean he he is better than a lot of stuff they constantly bring in for vet minimum up to a million or a million two. So I'm I, I'm fine with Lombard. Um
0: but it's it's the point of like anything not yeah. nailed down. Yeah, you I mean, trading.
1: yeah, I mean, we did a whole I did a whole piece on who was the core and stuff, and even some people in the core. I was like, yeah, I mean, like this off season, explore the trade market for Ekblad. I don't want to trade Ekblad. I don't think they should. I think they should see what the price is for Ekblad, what they could get for Ekblad. Is it Simon Edmondson out of Detroit or a similar type of defenseman? Uh, Defensive prospect. What type of forward would you get? What type of NHL player right now would you get? How many draft picks? Set the mark. But the real, but you you can't trade Eklad because if you do, you then need to get two first pairing defensemen. Which how realistic is that? Since it's taking them three years to just get
0: a a, a good top four defensive defenseman? And this defenseman. is you know and I mean? this is where I want to give you credit because even when we saw the emergence of Mackenzie Weegar and he was playing out of his skull, you were still saying they need a top-pairing left-hand shot defenseman and they've never seemed to be able to yeah, find I mean, it. And now it is so obvious that is the number one organizational need that, again, you're vindicated. It just sometimes takes a while for the checks to cash.
1: Yeah, I mean, and, and it is the one – I mean, outside coaching, outside coaching, it's the one thing. I mean, and it's why I'm not in a rush to trade Bennett, Duclair – Anybody that's a forward that's going to be here next year and have value next year, I'm not in a rush to trade unless they get me that defenseman.
0: Yes, and that is the point I want to make. I tried making it on Twitter uh, yesterday as the discussion kind of picked up a little bit. If you're going to trade Sam Bennett, Sam Reinhardt, Anthony, declare anybody of that ilk, you'd best be getting at least somebody who you think can be an alpha left-hand shot defenseman who can play with Aaron Ekblad in the future. And, Considering and again,
1: it's not. It doesn't mean like when we say defense, someone who's you know defensively bent or whatever. I we're not saying someone that's going to put up ten points a year, Good Branson or whatever. Ideally, we're talking Devontae's. Yes, pretty much that. You know, like that's ideally what we're talking about. Um, you know, because that's somebody who has had for two seconds a price that Florida can pay if they make some moves at deadline, get some picks, and, you know, they could pay that. Or, you know, so they can find somebody like that, or they, you know, on whatever price scale they need to, or they, they feel, you know, they, they need to spend or want to spend. But, I you know, I would love to see them bring in, uh, like, throw some names out there that I've been hearing lately. So, Matias Ekholm. Yeah. And a, and a Phil Broberg. Those are, like... Not saying those exact people, but those are
0: a good base, a good model. We did a thought okay. experiment with Sam Bennett, for instance, and we said, okay, what team out there that would be legitimately buying has a really good wealth of defensive prospects? And this is a thought experiment. This is not reporting, but we said, what team could that be? And we thought, okay, the Kings. We know they have a surplus of defensive prospects. So if in a hypothetical universe in which you're trading Sam Bennett to the Kings, you were talking again. What defenseman in that organization For, I mean, would the, you want?
1: The first two names would be Helga Granz and uh, Tobias Bjornfort. Uh, they they would be the first two. I, I mean, that's. It, I would go to other teams if with Bennett. You know, I would try to. I would in the off season. I think. You know, you you have more options and stuff. So I'm not going to be trading Bennett in the middle of the season for, for less than that. Like an Earl, like a William O'Leander out of Detroit or, you know, the, the, the LA defenseman,
0: um, you know, That's basically like what that. I think it would take if you were going to do a trade like that, because as you said, other than coaching, which is, is another discussion.
1: The, the I mean, or- it's not even a discussion at a point. It's a, um, it's a, when, when are they going to get to it? And, and what, I mean, What's going to happen? What's yes. the plan?
0: Um, but but in terms of is, this. is
1: the plan that you know Zito's just waiting till the end of the year because the ownership's like listen like you know we're paying this guy a bunch of money either way so just let him finish. Yeah, I think there's that
0: that might be part of the discussion because like too. I mean who because like do you want
1: Greg Kinnear? Yes, Greg Kinnear to to be on <laughs> he, the bench. He did the that NFL? one deliberately. I, I love him. Want... I love
0: him for it. We call Tom Rowe Mister Magoo, and we cannot yeah, call Jordan by his actual name.
1: Do you want Ruto, who I think has been in charge of the power play for the last two years as the head coach? No. Like, I mean, like, what do you, I mean? I, obviously, when you're turfing Maurice, you're turfing Jamie Compton too, Which, thank you well, know, the entire like, coaching
0: staff would go at that point. Well,
1: well, I mean, I think you'd I, I honestly they I honestly think they'd keep Ruto for two reasons. Jolonin and Jokinen. Yeah. Maybe they yeah. might be the next coaches.
0: They could be. Well, as I looked at it, and here's my point on why I really do think, like, no matter how this ends, unless by some miracle of God, they make the playoffs and that's not happening. The reason why you have to do this now in the off season, I'm referring to April 14th or whenever the season ends, is because two reasons. If you fired him, Obviously, the money sucks, but Vinny Viola's got plenty of money, just moved his business to South Florida. He's wealthy enough for them to swallow this, not just saying the Panthers are hosting the All-Star Game and got a new TV deal. Money's not an issue. The thing that you would have is the Panthers would instantly be the most attractive job of any of them out there. Because who else is going to fire a coach? Anaheim? Well, that's not an issue. Well,
1: I mean, I guess what you're saying is be because of – the, 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 the shot
0: wouldn't entirely be washed out and, of the and team There's yet.
1: not that many other jobs. Unlike no. last year where there was a lot of jobs, and Florida obviously wasn't that shiny, even with the shiny President's Trophy, because I tweeted it out. Three of the candidates that Florida didn't hire are head coaches of the All-Star oh, Game I mean, their it's, teams it's are in the first. A
0: debate.
1: And a fourth is only three points behind and the second in the revision in po- for points. I know. So it's, what, it's, it's insane. So, so, I mean, like, when it comes to coaching, I don't – what the process that they did for the last couple coaches, they need to scrap it. They need to start from square one all over again, redefine what a coach is to them. Because they keep – they're not going to replicate Quinville. Unless they bring Quinville back – which I don't know. I think if they were gonna bring Quinville back they would have fought for him more at the front. But, you know, um, you know, unless they're gonna bring Quinville back, that model of we're gonna get the experienced guy who knows exactly what he's doing, blah blah blah, and he's gonna set the culture for us. That's not out there. I
0: mean I don't think that, that that's the out only there. one who would even be close is Barry Trotz and and to to be honest, I think the reason he's still out there
1: is because he doesn't want the Florida job. I don't think that next, like I don't think he's, I don't think he's saying. I think he wants uh, well, to be a part of a front I wanted, office, and I don't know how that would work. Yeah, and it, but I think he could have got that last year with Florida. I think Florida was so vulnerable they would have given him that. Zito would have cut out some of his own share for that. I think
0: personally. Um, I don't think we can ever say for sure, but, but what I mean is that if you're firing but, him in the offseason, there's another reason why you would have to fire him in the offseason, and it's an obvious one. Even if the Panthers are the number one choice, you know, amongst a very select group of teams firing their coach this offseason because the other teams are like Anaheim and it's not a very good, you know, it's not a great job even if they get a top pick, is if this stuff continues with Paul Maurice, because I fully believe he's not changing his head coach, not anytime soon, at least, because you can't teach an old dog new tricks, and he's a 58-year-old coach who's been coaching since I was three years old in the NHL, and I'm not near 30 now. If this continues into early next season, which I don't know how you predicted otherwise, even if the Panthers are a vastly better roster next year, if this is bad, I... in October, November, you're going to have to fire him anyway. At that point, who are you actually hiring to bring in? other right. than Jordy Kinnear, which is not acceptable. And at that point, you've burned another cup-winning season because you didn't fire the coach yeah. you needed I to mean, fire. And that would that point would be Bill Zito's job is very I, much I, on the line.
1: They, I think that they would need to have a hell of a second half of the year for Maurice to stay. And I think Maurice kind of understands that. I mean, he's not an idiot. That's not why we're – I mean – he is an idiot, but he's not an idiot in those – he's a hockey coach idiot. He's not a – he understands the situation he's in, and he's probably being told. Um, so, I – I mean, we'll see. If he's the coach to the beginning next year, I won't be watching. I'll, I'll tell you that. I will just straight up not – it's just not emotionally worth it.
0: Well, as I say, like, I, I just think that – when I talk about how this has gone and it's gone so badly because largely everything, I mean, you can say that Bill Zito is a large part of this and yes, it is. He is of course. And yeah, they've also had bad luck, but the decisions that Paul Maurice has made are a huge part of why this team isn't very good. And when you see what the jets are doing with Paul Maurice, not there, When you see what the Devils are doing with Andrew Brunette there as an assistant, when you see what Boston's doing with Jim Montgomery, what the Stars are doing with Pete DeBoer, what the Golden Knights are doing with uh, Bruce Cassidy, and the Panthers are really the only one that got this wrong, it's just like you have to change it because there's no, again, don't chase something that ain't there. And for me... The, the other thing that I've learned, and this is my way of bringing up the team, I do like the Jaguars who are somehow in the playoffs this year, which makes no sense, but I am so happy. Doug Peterson, who won a Super Bowl in Philadelphia, one of the hardest things you could do as a professional sports coach in North America, what he did coming to Jacksonville was made changes to the way he runs his offenses because he didn't have the personnel to run it maybe the exact way he did in Philadelphia or the exact way he would run it on paper. It sounds like something that is very easy to do, but it's not because coaches are ideologues. If they get their way, they don't want to change their way. And that's the Paul Maurice conundrum. He's not really changing his way. It might seem like he's kind of doing it, but in reality, he's not. And you don't have your players try to jam into the system. You adapt your system to fit the needs of your players. That's why Doug Peterson has led the Jaguars, one of the worst franchises in professional sports, and who hired somebody worse than Tom Rowe and Urban Meyer, how they are now a division champion in year one, and why Paul Maurice took a President's Trophy winning team and jammed them back to an 80-point mess. That is the lesson that I think we need to see here, and the best coaches in the league find a way to adapt what they do to the players that they have and the personnel that they have, and I am quite confident that there are many hockey coaches out there, whether they have experience in the Stanley Cup playoffs or not, who could do that better than Paul Maurice can. And if you want to win in the age range can. that they're talking about with Barkov in his prime and Kachuk in his prime and Ekblad, all that, you can't keep chasing a lost cause. And it's very clear to, uh, to us on the outside, but also by the way they play when they trail games, like this team clearly doesn't, whether they're tired or whether it's subconscious, whatever it is, they don't fully buy into this the same way that they bought into Andrew Burnett last year. And Andrew Burnett clearly wasn't ready to be a full-time NHL head I don't, coach.
1: I don't think they bought into Andrew Burnett. I think the team and Andrew Burnett bought in, together bought into the idea that their talent and, and uh, their will and like their scoring would, would well, take Well, fair enough. Through. But
0: whatever the point may be is this clearly isn't working. And if you're the Florida Panthers in a division that's yeah, got and, elite teams in it and teams that are getting better, do not chase a lost cause. I, I, and this feels like a lost cause.
1: I think the lost cause – and and we'll sign off after this because it's been a little longer than we probably intended. But, like, the lost cause is trying to find a coach who's going – not pull the strings and of game management and stuff in the playoff series because that's what – you know, a coach needs to do, but pull the strings for the players. That's going to dictate the system to the players. That's going to tell the players what to do, where to be, blah, blah. blah. I think you need a coach that's going to rally the players. That's going to get the, bring the players together and be like, this is what is, this is who we are. You know, this is the system, help the team and the players build a system that they can, play within can you know encourage them to you know play the game and just react to how they're playing the game find a coach that can bring out the best in them and that kind of stuff i mean it's basically brunette with the ability to not
0: be a deer in a headlights yeah yeah i mean
1: because all 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 brunette did was you know the players were like, yeah, we like this system. We know how to, we we want to play this way. This is, you know, what we want to do. I mean, obviously as a coaching staff and 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 video coaches and stuff, it's their job to optimize and tweak and be like this is how we can stop more goals from getting scored on us or score more goals ourselves. Um, you know, power play, you know, hey, I watched a bunch of this video on this other team. This is what I'm seeing. How do you guys want to attack it? That's sort of the coaching I think Florida needs because you have a guy like Matthew Kachuk and Alexander Varkov, and, you know, you have a lot of talent on the team, and with the cap space, they're hinting at bringing in more talent. So, you know, why wouldn't you want them, you know, the people who are on the ice uh, in today, you know, making the decisions, a very fast game. It's a very intuitive game. You're already tell- You're already making a system where you want them to play on their instincts. Why don't you let their instincts tell you how to play, right? So um, that's kind of how I see it. I think a, a Jalonin or or some a newer, whether it's him, you know, I just say that name because it's new. It's somebody I think is is a little more progressive and a little more that way versus you know, oh uh, Barry Trots or Bruce Boudreaux or you know whoever they would get. Um,
0: uh, and I think that, for me, it comes from, you're not letting the players pick the coach, but you're having the players inform you of the kind of thing that they think might work and just well, melding things together no, in a better I, way than, oh, this guy's going to teach you how to play playoff hockey.
1: You know? Yeah, and I'm, I'm not saying, like again, this isn't the players picking the coach. This is the front office pick, picking a coach that knows how to work with players today that knows how to take a talented group and elevate them. I mean, I don't think I, – I think that's how Colorado has won. I mean, they have a coach who, who, you know, does coach things, manages the bench and sets lines and all this stuff, but he's somebody that doesn't – he's not trying to crack them into shape or, you know, whip them into shape. He's not trying to – fit a round circle into a peg box. He's not trying to, uh, you know, stubbornly stick with systems and stuff that aren't working and stuff. He's seeing what he has and utilizing what he has, and he's allowing everybody to play at their best. I mean, JT Confer is having another career year. I mean, they're, they're kind of falling out of the playoff spot, but with the amount of man games they've lost, it's amazing that they're even there. I mean, and a lot of guys that come into Colorado play well. You know, well,
0: we talked about it with the Panthers. It was the car wash the last couple yeah, years? You but I mean, the- like
1: I don't. It's with Colorado, they identify good players, they bring them in, and they're able to make good players play. Play, you know, they brought in Evan Rodriguez to be to 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 fill a role to be this, and he is. But he's also finding other roles, and he's expanding his his ability and his usefulness because. Colorado is a team that is able even when all all these injuries and stuff, the coaching staff is able to just make the tweaks, move people around and get the best out of everybody. It helps that they have a lot of guys like lecking in ranting in and stuff who uh play a lot of different ways and and are just you know probably really easy to play with, but um you know coaching can go a long way when it's focused on bringing out the best in the players versus what right now, Florida's Mm -hmm. coaching is focused on how to use their best players to cover their weaknesses and how to get, you know, and riding their bottom six to, you know, Win games. It's a little backwards, a little weird. I
0: think that what you're essentially saying is you want a coach that maximizes strengths and focuses on the strengths in a way that is not centered on weaknesses, which this system is.
1: Yeah, but I mean, I I think long long are the days where a coach comes in and tells the room what to do. I mean, if you wanted that, you should have hired that coach last year when it was John Tortorella on national TV begging for it. (laughs) Because he, I mean, if that's what you want, he was the best available this offseason and last during last season at that. I mean, and it's showing in Philadelphia. He's, I got mean, they're better than they have teams. any right to be. This is I for mean, sure. they're almost
0: Panthers good. So, well, and I, I, I'm not a Torx fan, but I do have to say that for what you were saying when and you wrote the Do they have an
1: identity? Do the
0: Flyers have an identity? They have an identity, yes.
1: Is he focused on the identity? Is he sitting players who don't fit that identity? Is he, he, he he's, he's I mean, doing he, his thing.
0: He's, he's, sure is.
1: And when he does it, it results in wins. Just in the same way Quinville did, just the same way Glaunt did. When the good coaches, um, you know, Glaunt had, you know, Glaunt is probably a good coach and not a great coach because he does have some hang ups. You know, the New York Ranger fans will tell you that right now. Yep about some things. But, you know, he was good at utilizing his best players. Um, you know, oh, he yeah. got, he, I think for my money, got the best out of Nick that anybody's ever gotten. And that, you know, he was able to find a way to make him feel like he could achieve more and then achieve more. And and that's, that's exactly what Florida needs. They don't, because they're beyond, you know, they're doing the Don the same Granato court.
0: type of coach at this point.
1: No, no. I think Don Granado would be great. I mean, look what he did to Tage
0: Thompson. Okay, well. I mean, you know I mean, what I mean? In the sense like, of – okay. I, but let but me look rephrase what he that. Let, let, I me, mean, like, let me rephrase that because I think that what I meant what was to say Thompson. they don't need a coach who can, like – how how do I best put it? What am I trying to say here? They don't – no.
1: I mean, like, what what they don't need is Paul – is a Paul Maurice. Okay. They don't need, they don't need someone to come in and tell them what to do. And, and They all don't this need stuff to tell
0: like, them somebody to they, tell them what they're doing
1: wrong. Basically. Like, like I'm at the point where they just need to get smarter defensemen, just get smarter defensemen and pro, and Spencer Knight getting better probably takes care of the rest. Uh, I mean, I'm just kind of at that point. I just want to see that. Cause I mean, see, get, get a coach who will play fast and be progressive and keep up on stuff. And, you know, won't fall apart in the playoffs and get some smarter defensemen and let's we'll see what we got. Then I'll be able to go to the next step. Yeah, but, I mean, that's I mean, something that they, you know, this whole year is almost lost in the sense because those three things are what they needed. I said they need to do after the playoffs and they haven't done. So we're still here. So you're right. If they do that. I'll be happy. They win three games in a row. Maybe we'll talk playoffs.
0: I mean, look, I I'm glad it's that It's still
1: possible. They it, should, oh, it's I not mean, it's not impossible. I, I, I don't. Still, I still expect them to make the playoffs because they should. Like I mean, they should this expect just that of
0: themselves. They are too talented to. I miss don't it. care
1: that it's twenty percent likely that they're going to make the playoffs. I mean, if if you like, yes, they need the Penguins. It, I mean, it's the Islanders, Penguins, and Buffalo. That's who you're playing right for the last playoff spot. Yep. Uh, I I. I think you can beat beat out the Penguins. You play them in a
0: couple games, so you better win. Yep, you're you're right. Like they should expect to make the playoffs, even if they don't right now have a very good chance. If even it, it is realistic, that's yeah. my point. And, and I think that, and you're right about that. But again, they gotta win three games in a row, man. They just yeah. they gotta win three I mean, games in a row. That's hard to make yeah. the playoffs. I mean, like, win three to, games in a
1: row. Yeah, to to talk about making use of that potential, they have to win three games in a row. Yep.
0: They almost did, and then they got butt hurt and boo-boo-faced about it uh, against the Stars when things went wrong. It just went south, and you can't well, have I that mean, happening.
1: Yeah, and again, we need to end this podcast, yeah, but you are correct. It, it, is, it is if you look at the zap of energy that left the Florida Panthers when it went from 2-1 to 3-1, that is the exact reason this year has sucked, and that is the exact reason Paul Maurice is not the right coach for this team, and I hope like, I would love if this team went on a bender, went in the playoffs, won two rounds, and Paul Maurice is the coach next year. And he's somewhat, and everything we thought, you know, this was just a longer pain to begin the season than we thought. But I really think that is very unlikely. Yeah.
0: Look, um, I, I do, I'm not rooting for anybody to fail. I can only tell you what we see. And,.
1: And uh, you know, as pro labor, I never vote for anybody to lose. I never want anyone to lose their job. So no,
0: not not not. Yes, not not on this podcast. Well, Any, I mean,
1: maybe well, the maybe the person who's the head of Department of Transportation right now.
0: But okay, uh, maybe about that. that. Uh, anyway, thank you for listening. We have much more coming soon. Read the stuff that Tommy wrote about the Panthers. Read his World junior stuff as well. And on the Substack, great place to go find all that. Until then, good night and good hockey.